Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning and great to be with you this morning. I've been anticipating this day for quite some time when your pastor invited me and so I'm privileged to be here. And I just want to say uh, to you this morning uh, how incredible uh, it is to have gotten to know your pastor. And uh, Blake is a man of God who loves you. We spent some time even this morning talking about how much he loves you and how he is enjoying all that God is doing here. And so I thank God that he brought Blake and Brooke here and uh, to serve you and to serve the Lord alongside of you. And so, Pastor, thank you so much for the privilege of being here, my friend. And I love you. I believe in you. I'm in your corner. And I want to say thank you for being a part collectively of the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're a part of a convention of almost 2,700 churches across Texas that are seeking to reach Texas and impact the world together. And because of your partnership, I love telling churches this, because of your partnership, did you realize that today you are in Henderson, Texas, but you are also on the eastern coast of Africa right now through your partnership? Did you know that today, you, while you're in Henderson, Texas, you are in the inner cities of London and the, 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 the lower tip of South America because you partner to put missionaries on the field and did you know that today that while we're here together in Henderson that you are in New York City and Denver and Houston and San Antonio because you in your partnership help plant churches just like the video that you saw just a few minutes ago so I want to just say thank you for being a part of a network of churches who collectively together seek to reach Texas and impact the world together we love you and we're so honored to serve you I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 12 this morning, Acts chapter 12, and as you're making your way there, I want to just speak to you this morning on the thought process or the subject of the power of God and the prayers of his people. The power of God and the prayers of his people. I don't know about you, I don't know what your heart's desire is for the things of the Lord, but what I can tell you is... Uh, that, that in my own life, there's one thing that if you were, if I were to, be, to, to just kind of strip away everything in my life and my heart, and I would get to the depth of my heart and the overflow of the depth of my heart, it would be this word, this theme, and that is that I so desperately want to see a move of God in our generation that is unparalleled in any other generation before us. Like, I want to see a movement of God that people say, we don't know what's going on. We just know it's of God. Uh, my grandparents used to tell me when I was a young boy, I would, I would sit at the uh, table and, and my grandfather was a pastor and he'd have these guys from all across, uh, uh, really all across America come in and be in their home and they would sit and drink coffee and they would kind of share war stories. Now what I mean by that is they would share stories of, of when God would move among them and they would talk about, you remember the days, some of you might remember this, when churches didn't have air conditioners, they just had ceiling fans. And they would raise the windows. They would talk about those days in which God would move. And uh, I would just sit there thinking as a little boy, man, I want to experience that kind of a move of God. 
I've had the privilege of pastoring two churches in East Texas, one in a place that I usually say that nobody would know, but we're kind of close enough. You actually might know Martin's Mill, Texas, between Canton and Athens, my first church. Loved it, man. 33 people voted on me. I thought I was Billy Graham and the Taj Mahal, and you could not convince me otherwise. And I was 24 years old, man, and I just went in there and uh, loved the people, and, and God showed up, and then I went from there uh, to First Baptist Church of Malakoff for a few years, just on the other side of Athens, and God met us. Us there, but I've always wanted something. Uh, I wanted to experience something that I believe was unmistakably a fresh move of the Holy Spirit of God. Friends, I would submit to you today that I believe God wants to pour out His Spirit on us, but I also believe that every movement of God that can be traced could also be traced back to being preceded by a prayer meeting or a prayer movement. But I'm afraid some of us are like my son. I have four kids. I tell people their names are any, many, mine, and it because there ain't going to be no mo. I promise you, all right? Uh, four kids. Uh, next month, I will enter into a really weird season of having three teenager, three teenage boys in the house at one time. So I've got a 17-year-old, a 14-year-old, and one that next month will turn 13. And then God allowed us to adopt uh, our daughter from Uganda. And so our family is complete. But uh, we were going down the highway one time when they were growing up. And uh, by the way, I've learned very quickly who my heroes are and aren't. My heroes are not politicians. I mean, that's pretty easy today. My heroes are not sports uh, players or athletes. My heroes aren't even preachers. My heroes are those parents who raise their kids without a DVD system in your car. I don't know how you did it, but it, it was a good invention, I'm telling you. Uh, but we were going down the road. And and my oldest son and my youngest son began fighting and arguing in the back seat. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. It's mass chaos. And they were fighting and arguing, and, 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 and it, was just, it was just obnoxious. And I happened to look up in the rearview mirror, and my middle son, his name's Carter. Now, he's in eighth grade. He's six foot, 185 pounds, and fire engine red hair now. I mean, he's like Opie on steroids, I'm telling you. So, but, but on this day, he had his hands folded. He was sitting out the window, or viewing out the window in the, in the vehicle. And I thought this is a rare moment to praise him. So I said, Hey Carter. He said, yeah, dad. I said, I just want you. I'm so proud of you. He said, well, why dad are you proud of me? I said, man, because you're being good. And he said, dad, that's my job. I said, well, buddy, you're doing a good job at your job. Well, about 15 minutes down the road, he decided to make that two-man argument, a three-man argument. He joined into the chaos. The volume elevated, and I had enough, and I finally snapped, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and I said, Carter. He said, yeah, Dad. I said, I thought you said your job was to be good. He said, I did, Dad, but I've decided to take the day off. <laughs> hey, don't miss this. I wonder how many of us today. When it comes to the things of God and when it comes to the discipline of prayer in our life, we're like my son. We know what we're supposed to do. We know that we're supposed to, uh, to, to, to pray. We know that we've been given direct access to the creator of the universe. There are no hold lines. There are no automated answering services. It is not text messages. You get to go directly to the creator of the universe. And I wonder how many of us, even knowing that, We've decided just to take the day off. We've decided to back away when things don't go our way, when God doesn't answer the prayers at the speed or in the way that we think he should. We just decide to take the day off. 
Well, this morning in the book of Acts, we're going to move very quickly through four simple things that we see about the church, about the power of God and the prayers of his people that really help us to understand that the church did not take a day off when it came to uh, praying and asking God for incredible things. So if you found your way to Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse 4, it says, And when they had seized him... They put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Listen to this verse. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was being made by the church. Now we'll stop there. The first thing that we understand about what's going on here is that Peter had been put in prison. He was on death row. In fact, if you keep reading, the next morning he was to be uh, awakened and taken out and executed. So here is Peter's last night alive. We're talking about the guy that preached the, 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 the sermon at the day of Pentecost when over 3,000 people got saved. We're talking about the guy, the only guy that I know that actually took one step of water. Well, I guess apart from Jesus, I should say that, but took one step on water and walked on water for just a very brief time. We're talking about Peter, the guy who was close with Jesus. And here he is in jail. This seems like it is the end for him. It seems like all hope is lost. And where do we find the church? We find the church in all its moments of desperation. We find the church in verse five, praying for their friend. And listen to what it says. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest Prayer was being made for him. The first thing that we see is that there was a church unified in prayer. The church was praying in unity. They knew that if, if, if God did not intervene, then their friend would die. You see, they realized there was no judge they could go appeal to. There was no attorney at this point they could go hire. There was no, there was no stay on his execution they could plead for. There was no extension of a trial. They knew that he was in prison and they, had, they knew that he was going to be executed the next morning and it seemed like the situation was dire and in, in, in a desperate situation. And therefore, they didn't call for a revival service even though that's not bad, right? They didn't call for a new strategy. They didn't call for, for how, who can we influence? Who, what, what congressman can we call? What senator can we call? No, listen, the church did only what they knew to do. They got on their knees together and they began praying to God for their friend. I wonder in your life and in my life, I've had to think about this a lot lately. I wonder in your life and in my life, how many situations would be different if we didn't try to manipulate the situation to our benefit? Rather, we went to our knees, driven in desperation to the God of the universe. It almost makes me wonder in my life, how many blessings from God I've missed out on because I've tried to inject my ability, my networks, my friendships, my relationships, my Thought processes on how it ought to end versus just getting on my knees in, in unity with brothers and sisters in Christ and desperately crying out for the Lord. Isn't it interesting? Just when you think about the church structure today, and I'm sure you go, you, you've been in church for a long time. When you think about the church structure today, isn't it interesting that Jesus never actually said, my house shall be known as a house of preaching? 
And yes, we say come to the house of worship, and I know that the Lord inhabits the praises of the people, but that's not even a phrase that Jesus uses, that my house will simply or primarily be a house of worship, even though it is, and we love it. He doesn't say my house will be a house of discipleship. It doesn't say my house will be a house of Sunday school. My house will be a house of fellowship. All of those things we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 are good things. But what does Jesus himself say? My house shall be a house of what? Prayer. And so isn't it interesting that we say, well, God doesn't seem to be moving among us anymore. God doesn't seem to be moving in the church like he once did. Well, well, well it's, I'm not a rocket scientist, folks. In fact, I'm not the brightest apple that fall, fell from the tree. But I mean, I grew up in Louisiana. We just barely get across the threshold, right? But what I am convinced of is if the one thing that Jesus said his house ought to be known for is the thing we often do the least in his house, how can we spend to expect him to pour out his spirit on his house. And Jesus says, my house shall be a house of prayer, but yet across the landscape of America today, if you were to go visit all kinds of churches, most churches, greatest times of prayer are transitioning points in the service. And here we see what God's words. why I love, Pastor. You're talking about, man, you're going to prayer walk. Praise God, like that gets me excited. I mean, we're going to pray, we're going we're gonna to go, and we're going to pray for every home. We're going to ask God to do this. That's intentional. I believe that's what God blesses. And here we see when the situation was dire and desperate, when they had nowhere else to go, they went to the place they should have started with in the first place, to their knees in prayer. So we see that the church was praying in unity. But secondly, we see this. I love this, man. Ooh, this is good stuff. We see that the church was praying earnestly. Your translation may say fervently. Listen to this. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest or fervent or passionate prayer was made for him, was being made for him to God by the church. Man, I love the word picture that this gives us. This doesn't give us, maybe you've all been in those kind of prayer services where everybody gets in a circle. Everybody circle up and we're going to pray one at a time. We're going to hold hands and we're going to pray. And you're like, okay, I hope they start at the person two or three down from me so I have time to think about what I'm going to pray. And, and finally, you think about what you're going to pray. And about four people before it gets to you, they pray what you're going to pray. And now you're in a mess because now you don't know what you're going to pray because they prayed your prayer. And you're like, okay, God, I got to figure this out. I got three more people. And you get excited because you got something you haven't heard prayed for and it was going to be your prayer and the person right next to you prayed that second prayer that you were going to pray and now it's up to you and you're hopeless and there's no time to think about it so you just give your neighbor a soft squeeze to say pass me and it passes you on, right? I mean, all of us have been in those kind of things. Listen to me, friends. Here's what I want you to understand. I can't fathom in my mind that when their friend was on death row, when all hope was lost, when it seemed like there was no answer, I can't imagine this church gathering together somewhere in silent prayer or having moments of silence. You know what I believe? I believe they were in a house. I believe that some were laying down, some were walking around, some were kneeling on their knees. And I believe that collectively, together, they were praying out loud that God would show up and rescue their friend, Peter. I believe because it says earnest prayer was being made, I believe that it was not some quiet, timid, soft, shy prayer. I believe that, man, God, I believe that, that, that these people collectively begin to cry out and try to grab the very heart of God. The church was praying 
earnestly. One of the blessings the Lord's given me in my life, I don't know how even, but I read a book years ago. Maybe some of you have read the book. Uh, it's not Baptist, I need to say that, but Baptists don't have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit either. So, There's a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I've read it 13 times. I usually read it about once a year. It's a pastor by the name of Jim Cimbala. He pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn. It's a non-denominational church. It tells a story of when he was asked to go be the pastor of that church that it was just a handful of people and it was right in the middle of Brooklyn and it was riddled with gangs and prostitutions and drugs. And he went away to Florida tired and, and actually physically sick. He tells a story how he was on a boat begging God for to do something else with his life. Call him to something else. God began to speak to him on that boat and began to say, Jim, if you'll go lead your people to pray, I'll take care of the rest. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. They're kind of known for two things. They're Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And they're also known for their Tuesday night prayer service, which is the most phenomenal service I've ever been in. And so God began to pour out his blessing, his spirit. The church began to grow. God began to do a miraculous thing. And now this church is world-renowned and people everywhere know who the Brooklyn Tabernacle is because of their prayer service and their choir and Pastor Jim's passion for prayer uh, and worship. And, um, and, and, and so I had an opportunity. I lived in Colorado for about three and a half years. I had an opportunity to take a group of pastors there. And so I took 56 pastors uh, to the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And Pastor Jim met with us on Monday night. We were able to have dinner. And he met with us and he kind of told us the story. And then he kind of went off on a different story that none of us were expecting. Here's this world-renowned man who everyone knows and everyone uh, 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 sees and everyone he listens to and everyone reads his books and all those kind of things. And yet in front of a group of pastors, he begins to share the story of brokenness that his daughter had run away. Not then, but a few years ago. How they couldn't find her. They didn't know what happened to her. And they had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And as you can imagine, being a church known for prayer, this church prayed, and he said, we prayed so much, we were exhausted in praying. And he said, one night at choir practice, his wife led the choir. He said, one night at choir practice, a lady walks up and she slips Miss Carol a note. And Miss Carol looks at the note and it just simply says, we need to pray for your daughter tonight. I believe her name was Chrissy or Christy. I think it was Chrissy. We need to pray for Chrissy tonight. The pastor said, again, we were exhausted. We, we'd been begging God for a long time, but yet felt compelled by the spirit. They, this choir got on their, they, they stopped the music and got on the knees and began praying together. Pastor said he was at home and when his wife got home, she walks in and she says, Jim, it's done. He said, what do you mean? She said, we reached heaven tonight. I'm telling you, I believe God's going to bring our daughter home. He said they woke up the next morning, we were getting coffee, and a knock is on the door. They go and open the door, and as you can imagine where their story is heading, there was their daughter. 
She walked in, she fell at their feet, and she began to beg, Mom, Dad, please forgive me. I've been running from God. I've been running from God, but God has grabbed my heart. And then their daughter gets up on her feet with tears in her eyes. She looks at Pastor Jim, and she says, Daddy, I've got a question. He said, what's that, honey? She goes, who was praying for me last night? He said, what do you mean? She said, last night about this time, God began to speak to me and I could begin to sense that somewhere somebody was praying for me. Little did she know that that choir stopped and began to earnestly beg God for, for her. Now, today, Chrissy is a pastor's wife in Chicago, Illinois. You see, friends, I'm telling you, when the church gets their heart on fire for prayer, God pours out his spirit you see, this church was praying in unity. This church was praying earnestly. What are you praying for today? How passionately are you crying out to the Lord on behalf of what it is you need him to do? Thirdly, I love this. This is my favorite. The church was praying daringly. The church was praying daringly. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read through it because for the sake of time, but let me, just, let me just summarize what the story says, and you can go back and read it. But here's what happens. The church is praying earnestly. That night... On death row, an angel comes and strikes Peter. Now, it's interesting that on death row, on his last night, he is so at peace that he is sleeping through his last night, so much that the angel has to strike him on the side. He gets up. He tells him to get, he tells him to get dressed. The scripture says that, 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 that Peter was thinking this wasn't real, that it was a dream. He takes him out of the prison, takes him out of the city walls. When the city walls close, the angel leaves and Peter comes to and realizes, man, this is real. I just got rescued. And so he immediately goes to the house in which this church is gathered together and they are praying. And he goes to the front gate and he bangs on the gate and he says, hey guys, I'm here. And the young lady named Rhoda goes out to meet Peter, hearing somebody at the gate. And when she hears his voice, I can only imagine she kind of cracked the gate. When she hears his voice, she slams it back in his face, I can imagine. And she runs inside and here's what she says to him. Guys, you aren't going to believe this. Peter is outside. Now, it, you can read it and verify it. They say, no, he's not. Here's what they say. You're out of your mind. That's what my translation says. They say to her, you are out of your mind. You've lost your mind. He's going to die. He's in prison. There's nothing we can do. She says, no, I'm telling you, Peter is outside. And they look at her and say, no, that must be his angel. She says, I'm telling you, Peter, the one we've been praying for, is right out there. And so she goes back out. She opens it up. And there is Peter. And the scripture records that the entire church, the prayer meeting, was amazed. Now listen. The church was praying in unity. The church was praying earnestly. But listen to this. The church was praying daringly. How do we know they were praying daring prayers? You want to know how we know? Because two people were surprised that their prayer was answered. Number one, Peter himself didn't know that it was real. 
Peter, he didn't conceptualize that God was answering the prayers of his people. And Peter thought it was some kind of vision. And it wasn't until he was outside of the city gates and the angel had departed in which he realized, oh my goodness, God has shown up and God has rescued me from the hands of death. God has rescued me from my death sentence. And so he goes to the church, he knocks on the gate, Rhoda runs back in and says, Peter is here. And what does the church who've been praying saying? No, he's not. Think about this. The church was praying such daring prayers that when God answered their prayers, they couldn't even believe that God answered the prayers they prayed. Man, that's daring prayers. Like, that is praying. John Maxwell used to say this. He used to say, dream dreams so big that unless God is in it, you're doomed for failure. And I would say we ought to change that to the church and say, pray prayers so big that if God's in it, we're doomed for failure. If not, unless God's in it, we're doomed for failure. Like, let me ask you today, what are you praying for in your life that if God doesn't show up, it just won't happen? What are you praying for as a church that unless the Spirit of God shows up and does it, it's just, there's just no way of doing it. What are you praying today that requires faith that God hears you and wants to move on your behalf? Manly Beasley, I don't know if any of you heard his name, used to say this, faith is believing it so even when it's not so in order that it may become so because God's already said it so. I'll say that again. Faith is believing it so, even when it's not so, in order that it may become so, because God's already said it so. Man, what are you praying in your life? Hey, let's just be real for a moment. If you're like me, there's two or three ways I pray. I will pray, I mean, I'm just being honest with you today. I will pray out of guilt. Man, I hadn't prayed today. I need to just pray. So I'll pray, and usually those guilt prayers are, are, are asking for forgiveness and then moving on as quick as I can. But oftentimes, the way we pray is we pray for things that we feel like are within our grasp of receiving, even if we have a part in it. Uh, let me tell you what I mean. Oftentimes, our prayers are not daring enough that only God can do it. Our prayers are, God, would you do this? But man, maybe I'm a part of that answer all the way along. But the truth of the matter is this church could do nothing to help Peter. Their prayer, their heart was so positioned out of desperation that only God could show up. What are you praying today? Let me make it kind of personal to you. Some of you have a son or a grandson that doesn't know the Lord or is running from God. Are you praying for him? By the way, you can love them, you can share the gospel with them, but you can't save them. Only God can do that. Are you praying for him? I mean, like, are you earnestly praying for him? Are you begging God for them? Maybe it's a grandson or a granddaughter. They don't know the Lord, or maybe they're running from God. Maybe you've, you've sat down and created the, 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 the inheritance plan you're going to leave them, but have you, have you given time to pray for them that God would grab their heart? Maybe it's a son or daughter. Maybe it's a, a, no, a neighbor, coworker, brother, sister, a mother, a father. I don't know. 
man, what are you praying for today? That unless God is in it, it doesn't happen. You see, this church prayed in such a way that God had to show up. You say, Nathan, these kind of crazy ways that God is showing up, that only happens, you know, either that happened in the Bible or that happened somewhere in an underground church around the world, but that just doesn't happen among us. Hey, listen to me. My Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> and I'll give you two examples of church. You say, Nathan, this just doesn't happen among us. No, 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 no. There's a church 25 miles from here in Longview, Texas, where God is pouring out his spirit in a unique and unique way. And, and the reason of, uh, of that is, I believe, or, or at least part of the reason that is, is because about a, a year and two months ago, they began having a prayer service. They, they just wanted to have a prayer service on Wednesday nights. It's not, and let me just be careful, it's not the kind of prayer service where we go over a prayer list and kind of talk for 45 minutes and pray for five minutes. And call it a prayer meeting. You know, like the whole hour or hour and a half is nothing but on their knees and praying together out loud, asking God to show up. Since January of 2013, January of 2021 is when they started this. They've seen almost 500 people come to faith in Christ through that prayer meeting in Longview, Texas. He called me, he said, Nathan, you're not going to believe this. It was a, he said there was a, a guy in his 70s that came. He said, Pastor, I need to meet with you. And he comes into my office and he said, um, Pastor, this prayer meeting has really messed me up. And he said, why? And he said, because Pastor, I came to it, and I hear these people pouring out their heart before God. And he said, and I realized I can't pray like that because I don't know God like that. And he said, Pastor, I need to give my life to Christ because I want to pour out my heart to God in prayer. So there, he gives his life to Christ that next week. They share this story and another man in his 70s and a lady in, in, in up, um, I believe around 60 comes, comes to him and says, that's my story. I've been in church all my life, but man, I was thinking the same thing and, and God just began to move. And, and he told me, he said, Nathan, you're not gonna believe this. Like I've had staff spouses give their life to Christ through the prayer service. I've had deacons give their life to Christ through the prayer service. He said, man, this, it's nothing fancy we're doing. I mean, I'm telling you, it's an hour, hour and a half of nothing, but getting on our knees and crying out to God. A church just down the road, a few hundred miles in north of Houston, started a prayer service September of 2020. And since then, they've seen almost 700 people come to Christ through their prayer service. And he said, Nathan, two things that he said, I want to share with you what God's doing. He said, we decided that we were going to try to do a prayer service on Christmas morning. Now, think about that. How many of you would get up and go to a prayer service on Christmas morning? He said, Nathan, you're not going to believe this. Over 40% of our church attendants showed up on Christmas morning to pray for an hour and a half. He said, we're just asking God to do what only God can do. We're asking God to do what we don't even know we need him to do. And he said, Nathan, here's the most real-time story. He said, in one of our prayer services, theirs are on Tuesday nights. He said, in one of our prayer services, a family brought a young lady. She was about eight or nine years old, and she had suffered from lifelong seizures. And they just asked our church to pray over them, just to pray over this, this child and just to ask God to, to take those away. And he said, Nathan, and this has been about a, a month or so ago. He said, Nathan, next week, um, we're going to stand her before the church by God's grace, and we're going to tell them that since the night we prayed, which has been over six months, she's not had a single seizure since then. 
He said, man, these are things that are unexplainable, things that are un, 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 you know, undeniable, that they're only from God. Now, let me just say this to you real quick. I know that there's got to be some of you thinking, well, that's kind of strange that a guy who is a, a leads a Baptist denomination would talk about God touching somebody physically. Well, listen to me. I just happen to believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I just happen to believe when we pray, God shows up. And I just happen to believe that when we pray, God shows up in the way that he deems fit to show up. And I just happen to believe that God is still in the... In, in the business of touching lives. And here we see this church believes it too because they pray daringly. They pray prayers that are impossible unless God shows up. And when God shows up, it is so powerful what he's done that even the church that's praying is stunned and goes, wait a second. Like, man, God showed up. So we see that the church is praying in unity, we see that the church is praying earnestly. We see that the church is praying daringly. And lastly, we see this, that the church is praying faithfully. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, it says this. This is Peter. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Where many were gathered together were praying. So, friends, we see that the church was praying in unity together for their friend. We see that the church was praying earnestly, passionately, fervently, going after what they needed God to do. We see that the church was praying big prayers, daringly, so big that they were surprised when God moved. But I love this piece. We see that the church was praying faithfully. What do we mean by that? They were praying while Peter was in prison, not knowing what was happening. When Peter is rescued and he goes to the house, what does he find the church doing? Praying. If I can be honest with you, some of you in this place, there's things that you've been praying and asking God for for a long time and it just doesn't seem like God's hearing or listening and that can get frustrating and that can cause you really to say, I'm taking the day off, man. I'm done. I'm done. I've prayed. I've begged. I've asked and God has not answered. You feel like God's not hearing you. Can I just implore you to keep praying and pray faithfully because God is hearing those pleas. It's just that his timing is not always our timing because our timing is tied to an instantaneous uh, culture in which we, we're, we're used to getting things quickly the way we want it. We have things that say your way, what? Right away. Well, man, when we're praying to the Lord, it's not our way right away because his ways are higher than our ways. It's his way whenever he chooses to do it. And we've got to be faithful to keep praying. Keep praying for that son. Keep praying for that daughter. Keep praying for that grandson or that granddaughter or that neighbor or that coworker. I'm going to close with this. The reason that this is so significant is because there's an end in sight. The end in sight is that one day, everyone in this room is going to take our final breath on the last, for the last time on this earth, and we're going to open our eyes into the presence of God if you know Christ. And everything that we do, everything that we pray, every way that we act, every way that we live, every way that we serve in the church, every way we collectively live as a church is pointing to his glory in that awaited moment. One of the things that I want you to know about the missionaries that you send through the International Mission Board is they are unbelievable people. I had the privilege of being a trustee of the International Mission Board for a few years, pastor, and we would get to interview uh, missionaries, and then right before they were uh, sent out, 
and celebrate him. We would sit down with them and we would say to them, tell us how to pray for you. And man, you just, some of the prayer requests for these people. I'll never forget one young lady. She said, pray that no one in the people group God is calling me to will die before I can get there with the gospel. Some of the prayers were pray because my mom and dad are very angry at us for taking the grandchildren overseas to serve the Lord. These are the kind of people that you're putting on the mission field when you partner, but there's one particular lady I want to tell you about. I, I was at the International Mission Board facility and I was walking through the hallway and, and on the hall was, on the, on the wall of this hallway was a, a, a legal, yellow legal pad note. And I took a picture of it and I keep it in my Bible to be reminded. This picture is of a handwritten note from one of our young missionaries by the name of Kieran. Kieran, serving the Lord on behalf of you and on behalf of me as Southern Baptist, went to a hard uh, area to take the gospel to. Kieran, serving on behalf of us, would ultimately give her life on the mission field for the gospel. What was so intriguing about this letter is that this was a letter she wrote to her pastors that was not to be opened unless she was killed. I want to read just a little bit of it. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. I love these next two lines. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. And she repeats this twice. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. Very end, she says, to regard of any service, just keep it small and simple. Yes, simple. Just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel and give glory and honor to God our Father. But here is a lady whose prayer for her life was that her life would matter for the kingdom. She goes to a place to reach hard-reached, uh, uh, hard-hearted people in places that are hard to reach, and yet she goes there. And her prayer was that her her prayer was that she would obey, and obedience would be a, her objective because she knew she was called to Him. She knew that suffering was going to happen, like she knew this, but she had her perspective right. Listen, she says, "His glory." is my reward, his glory. Say, Anthony, why do you share that story? Because I'm telling you, when the church begins praying, people begin to realize that it's, you're not praying for your personal gain or even for your church's gain. You are praying because church, his glory is our reward. His glory, his name, his kingdom. That's our reward, his glory, our reward. But what are we doing until he comes? Let's pray together. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Here's a simple invitation today. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, man, I want to beg you not to leave this place without giving your life to Christ. But if you're here today and you 
haven't given your life to Christ, in just a moment, we're going to just have a time of response. You can come find pastor and just simply say, I want to give my life to Jesus. And he'll show you in scripture how to walk through and cross the line of faith in a relationship with Christ. But for the rest of you, here's the, here's the call today. In your life, there's something that is just demanding earnest prayer. There's a situation, there's a relationship, there's someone's soul, there's, a, there's just something in your life. How do I know this? Because every one of us live in brokenness. There's something in your life that you need to begin praying and begging God to do what only he can do. So here's the invitation for the follower of Christ today. As we, in just a moment, stand and sing, I'm just going to ask you if you're physically able and God's prompted your heart just to come and get on your knees or stand or, or, or how, whatever posture you need to do to get before the Lord up here and just begin to say, God, today I am committing to praying Father, with, with unity with my brothers and sisters here, but I'm beginning to pray fervently, God, earnestly. I'm not going to let the enemy stop me from, from crying out to you, my God. God, I'm going to pray, I'm gonna pray daring prayers, God. I'm going to pray prayers that require me to have faith that, that you're going to show up, God, in my son's life or my daughter's life or whatever it is that, God, I'm struggling with. I'm going to, I'm going to begin praying earnestly, but I'm going to begin praying daring prayers, God, that that really demand that if you don't show up, that God, it's not going to happen. God, today is going to be the first day that I start praying. I'm going to be a faithful prayer. Whatever God's speaking in your heart, whatever circumstance you're facing, friend, I'm telling you, the greatest answer is to pray. If we're going to experience a move of God together like we've never seen before, then we've got to be a people who pray together like we've never prayed before. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd move in this moment. Stir our hearts for what stirs yours in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to begin singing. If God's prompting your heart just to come and make your way to this altar and just get on your knees before him and just begin praying for that, whatever that is in your life that you need God to show up, man, just earnestly pray and, 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 and daringly pray and faithfully pray that God would move in such a way as we sing this morning. Would you respond in a way that honors the Lord?